Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the making of True Colors or Affirmations in Crisis, Zora J. Murph really stretched his wings. Published in collaboration with Aperture earlier this year, the book is Zora reckoning with his life and the process of metabolizing the historical and contemporary reality of America's structure of power and privilege and how that shapes the lives of black folks. He describes the work as creating an affirmation in a moment of crisis as I learn to remake myself in my own image. To call True Colors a book undermines its complexity and quite frankly, its ingenuity. Through it, Zora has unraveled the tradition and expectations of what a photo book is and can be, and instead focuses on considering deeply what it means to make a context for his practice, and how, in doing that in collaboration with others, he can platform the work of artists around him in his community, as well as his own. These are my people. They're holding the space with me, not taking space from me. I'm Jen Fletcher, and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. Zora J. Murph is an artist and the Assistant Professor of Photography at the University of Arkansas. In 2019, Zora was named the Aperture Portfolio Prize finalist, a PDN30 honoree, and a Lightwork Artist in Residence. He was also one of eight artists chosen for the most recent iteration of MoMA's new photography series, and his work was shown at Arles in 2021 as part of the Discovery Award. If that wasn't keeping him busy enough, he's also made several books, including Corrections, Lost Omaha, and At No Point In Between. One thing that fascinates me, because I've only ever met one other photographer who's made this transition, is your journey from social work to photography. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about, but perhaps more pertinently, what it means to you and and if those things are connected? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, like, like many people, uh, young people, when I finished high school, was thinking about college, I never really thought about what it was I wanted to do. Like, what did I truly want for myself? I more so chose education as the next step for me because everyone around me was telling me, if you don't go to college now, you're not going to go back. And like, I, I just, for whatever reason, took that like deeply to heart and just jumped into going to school without any idea of, of what I truly wanted for myself. You know, so I, I followed, uh, like I have a degree in psychology. Um, I followed that degree track just out of like curiosity. You know, those were the classes where I found myself like actively engaged with the material and was like, oh, maybe I think this is like important to me or whatever. And then, yeah, I, uh, you know, finished that degree, got into social work, you know, just different types of social work. And then I think the, like the, something about doing research, like um, thinking about, like social phenomena and causes and effects for things. And like that, that always has held my interest. And so I was working a job at a detention facility, uh, working with kids on probation. You know, I was like in my early twenties quickly realizing like I was very unfulfilled in that space and that I needed to find ways of like, yeah, like who am like, you know, that, that moment in your life, like where you're finding out like, you know, for the first time, who are you outside of like, you know, the context of your family and like, and things of that, you know, like, what does it mean to be like kind of leading your own life? And yeah, it was like, I'm, I'm not happy with social work. So I started going back to school for photography and then the two things, social work and and art just like merged. And when I was photographed, like I started making pictures of the kids I was working with, started thinking critically about the criminal justice system I was thinking about how photography exists inside of that system and the power photography holds because of how it's, you know, used in, in social capacities. And so, you know, the, a mugshot, you know, in a way becomes this marker, this stigma, this record, right. That, you know, that 
labels you as something. So the image has that power to create belief in other people. So I started like, I think figuring out like these more expansive ways of thinking about the world through this act of creating images, both creating and reading images, like it felt right for me. I, it felt like this was my authentic way of being able to say things that I, that I felt I, that, that I felt needed to be said. I think like one thing I often talk about is like this moment I was reading these statistical supports about or statistical reports about um, kids in the system in the region where I was working. And then it dawned on me that I was like the statistics I was reading, I was actually going to pick that kid up later, you know, from school that day. Right. And that was like, it's just one of those really powerful things where you have like an epiphany and I was like, right. So you know, images can mean things just as like these words and statistics can mean things. And yeah, that's always like held my interest, I guess, to this day. It's interesting that you talk about it in that way, because one of the things beyond your work that drew me to you was an interview. I can't remember where I read this, but I've been trying to trace it and I can't find it. But you were talking about looking as a radical act. And I don't think we talk about that enough there's so much about photography that we don't talk about we're, we're very surface you know we don't talk about the responsibility we don't talk about its implications that much but just this sense of looking as being something radical I don't know if you remember when you said that but could, could mm-hmm. you kind of unpack what that means to you yeah that's uh I I can't remember where I came up with that phrase <laughs> but it's it is the title of a lecture that I right right that maybe I that's what it was. Um, but I, I think it was uh, you know it was when I was making at no point in between. So this work that's uh, looking at many different forms of structural violence and injustice, you know, towards Black people in you know the context of um, you know the United States of America, but having a very hyper specific focus on one Black neighborhood. And then very particular events of police violence that I was being exposed to, or that I had decided to expose myself to, or I guess, you know, you kind of run into these things sometimes. Anyway, um, thinking about like that imagery, thinking about this place that, you know, through social policy and social engineering, um, you know, has been pushed into extreme poverty. And now, you know, the reverse effects of that, you know, what we call today gentrification, right? that I could see all of these social pressures through the landscape itself. You know, it's something that like that, that act of like looking, right. Like looking deeply, looking critically um, that, you know, a, a photograph of a dilapidated building can be much more than a picture of a dilapidated building. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like one of these pieces of, of tangible visual evidence of a, a racist history um, and so then trying to make these correlations between these different modes of violence. So, you know, a spectacle lynching that happened there in 1919, um, you know, a 14 year old um, girl being shot in the back of the head by a police officer who was, you know, then um, acquitted, um, you know, to, um, you know, that, that same type of violence that, you know, we, we've, we're seeing, you know, that we've seen and, and are still continuing to see. And that, like, these things are synonymous, right? They're, they're ways of, of trying to force us back into subjugation, right? And, yeah, yeah, just trying to, I, I think, trying to bring all those things together through making photographs, through looking at the world critically, that we can arrive at those things, you know, very easily. And, you know, you can have this critical standpoint at any any given moment, you know, but it's up to you, the person looking to decide to see it, right? And pay credence to it. Kind of what you said then reminds me of the way Tina Camp talks about making our relationship with images something active. This this idea that you were saying, like it's more than just looking, it's this provocation, this invitation to inhabit complex feelings like discomfort and vulnerability. And it feels like this sentiment is really resonant in your book your new book, True Colours. It feels like that's, there's so much in there. You know, I think I posted about it on Instagram a few weeks ago and I was just like, it may take me years to really fully absorb and I'll never absorb all of it because it's, some of it isn't for me. But 
there's just so much in there and this idea of provocation and sitting with discomfort and and history I find so generative in the way that you've put the book together there's just so much to talk about it's such a brilliant book um I guess let's start at the beginning because for people who haven't seen the book yet there is so much in there it feels almost like so much of what you've been thinking and feeling and mapping through your life for maybe like over a decade, maybe longer. Like it's just, I hate, I don't want to use the word autobiography because that seems a bit reductive, but it is so deeply personal, but it's also constellating so many aspects of culture and politics and social, social action. So tell me a little bit about how it started because I can't cope with how much is in there and how you began to unravel it. Yeah, well, uh, I think at one point, I can't remember, someone had asked me, like, how long did it take to make? And I was like, well, it took 35 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it took a lifetime or yeah. more lifetime so far to to come up with all this. But um, so, I mean, I guess it, it is autobiographical in that way. Um, but I, I think it was, um, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, 2020. Um, you know, like being, uh, all of us being like forced to particular levels of like social isolation, you know, dealing with again, like these, these images of, uh, racialized violence and just having to like sit and, and see that, you know, I think the, like all of the stuff, you know, like that's sort of happened from that, you know, like there was like this outpouring of love towards black people, right? Like, because, you know, finally, like, white people in mass woke up to what has been happening since 1619. And that was, like, revealing for me in the sense that I was at this point in my career where I could, like, I could feel this barrier. I knew I was up against something, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was, right? And it was like the floodgates opened, like all this opportunity just started dropping into my lap. And I was like, oh, so this entire time I've had it in the back of my mind. I'm not making it like, you know, to this next point in my career because I'm black. I would sometimes say that. And then, of course, like white people look at me like I'm crazy. Right. But then that, you know, 2020 happens and then it's like validated, affirmed you know, being on the phone with friends and being like, guess what just happened? And then they're like, yeah, it's happening to me too. And it's like, shit, this is real, you know? So I think it's like that, the book comes from that moment in time. And I wanted to use the book to talk about right now. And I think maybe more specifically like my right now, right? So yeah, like, you know, waking up to being like the ways I've been tokenized, you know, the ways that I've been, you know, sort of forced to do things in a particular way, because that's like sort of what's expected of me. And yeah, I I think, you know, like having my own, you know, kind of like awakening myself, and maybe in the sense of like, how am I going to liberate myself from this, because no one else can do that but me. And so again, you know, this book became a way of like writing everything down that I felt. I needed to write down to get me to that point. So yeah, like it's, it's vulnerable. It's, um, you know, tender. It carries like, I think a lot of different emotion types of emotion based on, you know, who might be viewing it. But yeah, there's times, you know, like where I'm, Oh, I'm like raging out. There's times that, um, you know, I'm being funny, you know, there's times that I'm, uh, you know, like showing love. And, but I, I think that it, like to me, it just it feels genuine in that way, and yeah, it's been like really just wonderful, like getting to see everybody, you know, experience it, and and hearing, you know, some you know folks take away um, as they as they have started looking at it. I think that's one of the things that feels so radical about it is the way that it is so multivalent in emotion because we're so. For I'll be interested in your take on this, both as an artist and an educator, because it feels like so much of our, I don't know, so much of the industry is about streamlining your ideas, right? Simplifying them, streamlining them, maybe not simplifying them, but like streamlining them into this one thing. Like, what is this thing that you're trying to say, you're trying to get at? 
And so much of the most celebrated work is perhaps only showing one side or only really letting us in a few layers. And what is so remarkable about this book is that it does contain your rage and your joy and your sense of humour. And and going through it without knowing you, you start to become alive to me. You start to become somebody that I feel like I know beyond an Instagram persona or the work that I've seen in galleries. And that feels so generative because it's the fullness of life. And I don't see that fullness in a lot of photo projects. And I, I think actually it's something super contemporary because I see the younger generation now who are just sort of graduating, they're much more interested in showing it all and 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 letting us sit with that complexity. And that, yeah, that for me was so generous of you to kind of enable us to enter into that space because, you know, as you said, like life is in inherently complicated and it's been even more complicated since 2020 for endless reasons and it continues to be and so why on earth would we limit our emotions to one direction like we've got we've all got to hold so much so yeah I think it's so important I don't know if you ever felt that yourself or felt that that was radical Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, we like at the beginning, very beginning of the pandemic, we started like having a lot of uh, virtual visiting artists, which I think was like kind of side note was like a cool sort of thing like that accessibility, like sort of opened up and then like opportunity could be shared like in this really wide way, especially like at a time when people like artists needed it, um, like needed that support. So that was pretty cool. Anyway, end of side note. <laughs> but um, my uh, partner, Raina, she invited one of our favorite photographers, uh, Elliot Jerome Brown uh, Jr., to um, come to the graduate seminar and just kind of talk with students about being an artist. And um, I think someone had asked him a question about, like, what, like, sort of pressures have you felt, like, you know, sort of being isolated? And Elliot was like, well... I don't think, I don't know if I felt much pressure because I'm self-possessed. And I was like, God damn, like that is like, that's real. But it was like, yeah, it really sent me into this tailspin of like, what am I trying to do? Like, and, and how am I, how am I like maybe like compromising myself in ways, you know, like in particular spaces or, or for particular things. And yeah, like it was just like, I started doing a lot of like self work from that point forward and all of that like was like, I think funneled into the book because it was such an internal time, um, you know, like as it was for, for a lot of us, right. Like you're just spending a lot of time like in your own head thinking about like yourself and like what, like what's going on, how do I relate to the world? You know, like all of these different interrogations and like even my practice like went from like being out in the world taking photographs to like in the studio like making things with my hands which was something that like you know I kind of entertained for a little while in grad school but you know didn't really embrace because I felt like it was like too big a divergence or something and yeah it was like yeah this this sort of coming back to self and really like, yeah, questioning, like, who am I as an artist? What are my sort of obligations, you know, when it comes to the medium of photography? And yeah, I mean, it was a wild sort of ride. And then even like more wild, once we started putting the book together, uh, it just felt like, <laughs> like a storm because it was, uh, I think, like the early, the, the first sequence I did in like the space of like a month, like one to two months. And it was just a lot of, yeah, going through the studio, going, like, digging through my phone for, like, screenshots of things. Yeah, just, like, anything and everything I was, like, digesting, like, visually was, like, you know, put up for consideration. And then up against every everything that I've made, you know, the past 10 years as a photographer. And I, I saw it, like, the book as an opportunity. I think, like, maybe why it feels autobiographical is that it was, you know, it was almost like putting together, like, a retrospective. <laughs> Like that's what it sort of felt like, like that. Like I wouldn't say the book is a body of work. I think it's like it's something other than that. Like it's an experience, a moment. I don't know. Words fail sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you phrase it really interestingly. Thinking about it as an experience, it also feels like it's kind of this beginning for you, as well as maybe not an end, but like um, 
maybe a reflection point, like a significant reflection point going forward, which is quite interesting, like that tension. That's another reason why it feels like it sort of contains and holds so much, because as you say, it's like 35 years, but it's also been this defining moment, recalibrating and sort of releasing. Was it a quite a cathartic process or was it tear your hair out kind of? Um, I would say like the the making of it was like the me putting me putting together the sequence the initial sequence was definitely cathartic and then it was like sort of back into like this experience of like having to navigate you know an institutional space to produce something and that's like as a black person that's never easy but i will say from the catharsis came a lot of new insight and a level of preparedness to deal with those pressures. You know what I'm saying? Mm. In the past, it hasn't been popular to be, to consider these things openly, you know, like in the most like generalized way, I like to believe that I'm Mm anti-capitalist, but I'm still going to participate in capitalistic society, right? Like there are some things I feel that are so large that it's like a prison that you can't quite figure out how to escape yet until there's like a mass shift in culture where like you have that strength in numbers to make like particular changes. Right. And I I think that's like something that the art world is definitely reckoning with at the moment. And like, again, something I'm, I like feel like, like, you know, that I, I'm comfortable being open about. And it's not to say like, it was like a really bad, terrible experience. It's just knowing that as a black person going into these spaces, there's going to be pressure put on me from tradition that creates expectation, particular expectations that they hold. Right. So like it creates these problems because like the things that they feel should be done in a particular way. Right. Like I'm questioning like, well, why, like, why is this a rule? Why is this a practice? You know, your rules and practices and customs make me feel a particular way because in your spaces, blackness doesn't exist or it exists in very minimal ways to where it's almost non-existent. And so like, again, like I think it was, yeah, it was a great experience working with them, but yeah, it's like anywhere I go, like dealing with any institution, it's always, you know, those pressures are always going to be there. Yeah. It's a very complicated thing. I think we are starting to have a broader dialogue about education (laughs) and like the institution of the museum and those kind of spaces, but we don't often talk about it with publishing. And I feel like photo publishing is inherently complicated just as a business model. It's inherent. <laughs> I, I find like, I, I don't know, like I question the amount, you know, most publishers with photographers having to put all of their money in. Just even that transaction to me seems a little bit, it seems a little bit strange and unbalanced, let alone everything to do with the culture. But yeah, it is an interest. It's an interesting one that definitely requires further conversation for sure and more open conversation I think people are quite I think a photo book now is such a status symbol for a photographer like you speak to young photographers in particular and they they think they won't make it until they have a book which is which is obviously not true but hard to see at that age or that stage of their career but yeah it's complicated it's complicated one of the things that I really loved about the book is the way that your communal ethos Uh, of your practice really emerged and how you bring in different voices, whether that's writers or thinkers, as well as other artists that have informed your work and influenced your work. And also some of the students that you've mentored, some of which I know personally. So I was so excited to to see them in there. So (laughs) I'd love to hear about why this sort of social practice is so important to you. Yeah. Well, I think, um, again, like arriving, you know, at this moment, like winning this award, you know, this opportunity to publish a book on this scale, you know, it felt important to share that. And I, and so I decided to try to share it with as many people as I could, but people who have had like a high level of, you know, influence, you know, over me and like a a high and have provided like a high level of, of support for me, you know, like through my own career and, and, you know, like people who just like, who have found their way of of loving me unconditionally. And so, you know, that's like, you know, uh, Terrence and Bill and Jay and, and Nick Drain and Nick Norman, Sasha Fires Burgess, uh, you know, my, my, my partner in crime, Raina Young, 
um, you know, Tay Butler, Aaron Turner, Whitley and Cadet, Legacy Russell, you know, like all people like who I've had, I've, you know, had the privilege of sharing like very profound moments with, and then, you know, like creating this as a space where they could bring what they felt was necessary. So when I asked uh, Whitley and if she would contribute photos, you know, she was like, Ooh, I got two for you. Like we talked like through the ideas and I showed her some stuff and then she's like, Ooh, I got, I got two for you. And she like gave me these two like beautiful images to, to be able to use in, in the book. And then, you know, like, so, you know, where her contribution was like, like more kind of self-driven. Like she was like, Oh, I got it. I got you. Exactly. With Nick Drain, it was more of a collaborative uh, selection between um, him and Jay because they're like Nick's images and Jay's essay appear in the same section together. So I, like, there was like almost like this little like cross curation, you know, legacy Russell's essay, you know, she, we, when we talked about the, the book, you know, before she was writing, um, you know, like, January 6th had just happened, you know, Eugene Goodman and and those images were like heavy on our minds. And I had like, at that point decided I was going to use some of that imagery in the book, but then she wrote about it like so concisely and naming these very particular time intervals that, you know, I was like, use that to then pick the exact screenshots that would go in. You know, I think it was just like that, like a sort of synergy, but it was like, you know, like both like acts of like trust and, uh, and acts of love, you know, like Tay's contribution, the rap track, uh, that appears in the book again, like he just looked at the book and he was like, okay. And he like, we talked some ideas and then he was like, okay, I'll be back. <laughs> and then he came back and delivered like something profound. So, you know, it was like, yeah, Aaron Turner, sorry. I'm just like bugging out over everybody's no, stuff. There's so much good work in there. Yeah, but like Aaron Turner, you know, he's so, the man is just like a repository of information about black photographic history and, and, and like black history generally. So I asked him to like write about like these two separate images that were in the book to provide them some sort of context. But he did it in this way that I feel like gives viewers pause because he's telling you what I'm like, he's telling you what he's thinking that I'm thinking. And so you're really dealing with this idea of like a standpoint um, when you like look at an image or like you are in like a particular space or landscape. Right. So he's like doing that act of like, like we're talking like uh, looking as a radical act, like he's really spelling it out and like this sort of annotated footnote type of way. And so, yeah, but it was just like everybody got to come in to the space and just play. And it was like, I mean, as you know, <laughs> yeah. Was it some, was that something you always wanted to do or is it something that you had to like fight for at any stage? Um, no, I mean, so it's like something I wanted to do and something I've done before in the past, but specifically with, with writers. So, um, you know, uh, my friend Lisa, uh, you know, she's written a couple of things for me for at no point in between. And then uh, the book I did with Chris Graves lost to Omaha with corrections. I worked with Pete Brook, who's just an amazing human being all around, but a phenomenal writer. Um, and then, uh, and at no point in between as well. And in this book, I'm working with, uh, Terrence Washington, and I, I think, especially with that no point in between, like, you know, both Lisa and Terrence wrote, wrote for that. And my rule was like, there are no rules, <laughs> like, but that I just don't, I don't want you to write about the work, like in this hyper direct or hyper, you know, kind of scholarly way, like, just like give it some context, expand it, you know, through the eyes of like, like through what you're seeing, just to expand the ideas that you feel exist there that need to be touched upon in text. And they both just like, it's like, it's like this, you know, like just again, that trust and rely and, and, and tr like you know, trusting in people's inherent talents and, and they delivered. And so I think when I came to this, you know, obviously the platform's bigger, has more space and, um, you know, like a, again, just like got this space to where everyone could, <laughs> could frolic, you know? And I, you know, like in the beginning stages, it was like, you know, Leslie and I had, you know, some back and forth about like the number of contributors. And I, but I think it was like, sort of like, you know, making sure, maybe trying to make sure that I wasn't giving up too much space. But it, I think for me, the argument was always like, these are my people. 
they're holding the space with me, not taking space from me. Right. But it's like, again, that sort of reframing, you know, this moment when you get the aperture book, right? Like you're supposed to print just you, you're just supposed to be up there by yourself, you know, and like, you're, you're the genius. Right. And it's like, I might say some smart things from time to time, but you know, like there's other people who have, <laughs> who are also saying smart things, but then also, yeah, like helping me support me and my ideas and, you know, arriving at this moment. And so, yeah, of course I'm going to honor these people and, and share this as widely as I can. It goes back to that institutional expectation that we were talking about, right? It's such a white male thing to be all about me. I'll just say it. It just is, yeah. right? Yeah, in the context of life and in and the context of photo books. Like it's like yeah. reflect back as much as possible. But that's why it's so exciting and in some ways it shouldn't feel that radical but it's just that other there's lots of other people who haven't done it so it does feel exciting it does feel generative Mm -hmm. and actually while we can participate in all of these different people that you bring us to the dialogue of their input along with you is opening up all of these other generative spaces for us to move into so it feels like it's always your world because you you extended the invitation but it, we just get to experience it in a, in a sort of deeper sort of multiplicity that we wouldn't had it just been purely your work. Mm. It's It just feels so special in that way. Sort of thinking about that as well, I, I was curious to talk to you about audience because to go back to what I was saying and what we were talking about at the beginning is this idea of the work being an invitation and the audience needs to spend time with this book, right? There's so much you've set up for us to constellate, to make connections with, with everything it brings up for us. It demands space and time. Like it really, really does. It's an investment, which is, which is ideal, right? It's, that's ideal in terms of what you've created, but in terms of what you're asking the reader or the viewer to do, it's an undertaking, which is important, especially with the context of the work. But I was curious how you think about your relationship as an artist with the audience. Like, are you ever thinking about audience? No. (laughs) It's honest and probably quite an important answer. Uh, No, you know, I think about the audience in the sense that like, you know, I'm, I'm making these things specifically to be seen by other people, right? Anything past that is like, I, I hold zero expectation for it. And so I don't really pay much credence to it. You know, I think that the title, uh, you know, true colors or affirmations in a crisis, you know, it's like, sort of telling in the sense that it's like, I'm saying like, these are my true colors. This is who I am. Right. Affirmations in a crisis. It tell, it's telling you like, I'm in a crisis and I'm seeking out affirmations. Mm. Right. And at the same time, I'm delivering affirmations mm-hmm. to those people who need those particular affirmations. So yeah, like think maybe thinking about the audience in that sense, but it, it's, again, it's not like I'm thinking of like, I'm making this for a particular type of people. And I think that's like been like a real, like this sort of problem of positionality, you know, in, especially in, in academic spaces in the art world where it's like, there's like this sort of expectation, like, like, so as a black student, a lot of expectation was placed on me to define like who my work was for. And I watched every single one of my white peers never have to answer that question. And so it's, it's like thinking about like, is that so like when it comes to an audience, I don't really think about it in those terms because to me, it's a moot point. It's one of these things that sort of gets made up and asked of you when like, you know, like to what extent does that really matter? Right. Mm. To go back to you were saying before how your process of making and scrolling through your phone and looking for all these touch points. One of the things that's so exciting about the book is the way you explore social phenomena in different ways and how photography is so entangled with it. And these messages that we receive from visual culture and how they are sometimes empowering, they're isolating, they're dangerous, they're stressful. And just this weight that photography carries in perhaps like a more social culture it feels like you're leaning into like this is not just appropriation or 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 taking from 
press or, or specific sources, like a lot of it feels social, like the a lot of it feels like it's engaging with that social sharing of images in some way. I guess I'm curious to hear about your personal formative experience as a consumer of images and how that kind of manifests in the book. I think a lot about how I find myself through visual culture. You know that I've also committed myself to this endeavor of making <laughs> making visual culture for other people to maybe find themselves as well. And yeah, so I, I think that's where it it sort of started from. And then like using like images as a way of, of marking time again, like that I was using the book to talk about a very particular moment. And so, yeah, like, like legit using things that like I saw unfold, right. Um, there's a, towards the beginning of the book, like right after the interview with Bill Gaskins, there's like this series of screenshots of a car with people standing on it. And that was, um, uh, you know, a carload of people headed to the protests um, spurred by George Floyd's murder in Lincoln, Nebraska, and a friend had sent it to uh, Raina and I. And it was like such a striking moment, but very much like right now. But then I also thought about, you know, like this like kind of revolutionary moment. And like it reminded me of uh, that painting, like of George Washington, like crossing the Delaware, you know, and, it's, and so it's just like kind of this, this iconic thing, right? So it speaks very much of a time but then of also an action that's timeless. Mm -hmm. And then also like moments where like, yeah, where it's more like personally driven. So there's like, you know, this screenshot <laughs> of uh, Eddie Murphy doing this white face skit on um, Saturday night live. Um, and he's like riding a bus, you know, and then white face, which is like kind of like this absurd action. But then like, again, this sort of interesting commentary on, on social dynamics and, uh, you know, physical appearance. And then like, you know, the image it's positioned against is this <laughs> photograph of this like statuary, like this facade on this building of like this, like pure white family, you know, for like the public to behold, I guess. Um, but I, I titled that image, the reflection of most visible wavelengths of light, which is the definition of white. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like thinking about, you know, kind of the positioning of these two images, one of whiteness or like both of whiteness. Mm. Right. But like thinking about like what whiteness does, you know, how whiteness makes people feel either like completely ubiquitous inside of culture or like inside of a society, you know, or extremely ostracized to the point where you feel you have to aspire towards the ubiquity. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So, you know, it's like, yeah, but like an SNL skit, triggered that right yeah uh, you know then the following page there's this uh this image uh what's the title of this one every uh or no it's uh, wesley's theory on on repeat every nigga star but it's uh you know this um a screen grab of the north star you know the polaris a polaris a b um and then juxtaposed at the center where like this you would see like the star is this screen capture from john singleton's uh, boys in the hood but i remember as you know like a younger person watching that movie and this character doing like this this kind this act of kindness and i thought about like i want to be kind like him right like i was inspired by that i was inspired through like that character being written right and so then like yeah like kind of juxtaposing him as this the star this guiding light of like you know, wanting to be, you know, like, like that person. And so again, like that act of, of finding oneself in visual culture. And so, yeah, it's, I think it, it's, that's where a lot of it comes from for me. And then it was, yeah, just this deep kind of mining of like, what are like, yeah, I think there was like a list. I had a, like a, a big folder of studio notes from the book that I just sent to the designer recently. But I think one of them was like, like essential movies to watch, like movies that I remember being very sort of transformative to me. And like a lot of, a lot of things that like I hadn't actually like watched in years. And I thought I understood what it was about, but obviously I was too young to understand. <laughs> and so, but then it's like, yeah, but it was like, Oh, that was always there. And so like, 
had I always been drawn to that because it was subliminally, mm, you know, interesting. kind of doing something. Um, or maybe it's just like, yeah, I, just, I couldn't see it because I didn't have the <laughs> the context of time, you know, to understand these things fully. But anyway, that's like, yeah, kind of this this play. But that's that's my that's my studio practice at its most genuine. Is like, I'm just in this space. Sometimes I make things. Sometimes I'm, you know, just taking in information. Sometimes I'm doing both at the same time. And it's like it's messy, but it keeps me in it because it's how I like to engage. There's so much in what you just said. (laughs) This is like a process nerd question, but because there are all of these different touch points, how did you know when the book was just right? Or was that not something you were thinking about? Because it does contain so much. Like, was there a moment when you're like, yep, this is complicated enough that I feel like we're there. (laughs) Like, how did you know? Um, well, I think like, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to make, you know, a few books. Each experience was like drastically different. You know, the first book I made, it was very like hands off. I just handed over the work. I kind of had some comments on the sequence. Um, design was completely out of my hands, you know, like there was that, um, you know, working with Chris, you know, like I love working with Chris. I think Chris does a lot for the, the field of publishing, he thinks about things in a really great way and he's very straightforward and very transparent. I love him for that. But yeah, again, it was just like, he like was just very specific. I have this particular model. This is what we can accomplish. You know, what do you got? And then let's sort of talk it through. Then working with Sean uh, Bush on at no point in between, that was where like, I felt like I really got to stretch my legs and think about like, what does it mean to make a context? how do you use every every piece of this object to reinforce like that this is a context sean is like a genius in that way i've like never seen somebody just like dream up things so quickly where yeah like we would talk things through and then he would be like okay i just got to think about this for a while and then like two weeks later he would come back i got this let's try this and i'm just like oh my god i can't can't <laughs> Ah, it's wonderful. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I think by the time, you know, I arrived at making this book, I sort of, I, I had enough insight to the ins and outs of things, you know, that like, you know, I understand that like, you know, you, you have to have a particular page count, you know, like you have to have these very particular things in here that's going to take up space, you know? And so I feel like we, you know, really stretched our wings, um, you know, me and, and the designers, uh, Kevin and, and Danielle of Workplay, you know, like we, we just, we, we stretched our wings as far as we possibly could, you know, the, the size of the book, I knew that I wanted it to have, I wanted it to take up a lot of physical space, you know, the gatefold. So if you have this sucker, like fully open, like you need a whole, <laughs> you need a whole table, you need a lot of space. You need like two tables. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, but that like reinforces that this is like, a slow read, yes. right? Yeah. Something to be like, to sit with and, and mm-hmm. think about like, and reflect on, you know, the, the cover design, like we went through a few different rounds of like trying to figure out the right cover. And, um, I kind of got to a standstill and then, you know, Kevin was like, well, just like, what do you think you want to see? And so I sent him this image of these flowers and then, you know, we sam- like started sampling colors. So the purple, like the green comes from inside that image. The purple that's on the interior of the book, you know, comes in from like a sampled from that same image. You know, we, <laughs> we were looking through foil samples at Aperture and we saw this gold and we were like, say less, it's got to be gold. <laughs> you know, so there's like, there's things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I feel like the, like the, the structure of it, you know, it's, you know, there's a table of contents. It's very like clear. There's like kind of set different sections. Right. And those for me are just different parts of my life that I found important. And so like, it's meaningful to me. They're kind of opaque in the way they're titled, you know, it's meant to be that way, but then, you know, you understand like that is in the context of time you're getting years, dates. Um, and then even like the page numbers are designed in a way of like time, like a time mm. stamp. Right. Yeah, I love that. So, and so I think like just creating that as a boundary really helped me um, because then it's like, okay, you know, if I'm thinking about these moments, 
what images need to go there, what contribution or text might need to appear. And I also think like the the writing and the interviews, I think were another way of um, that, that helped me understand like how to provide boundary within this because there had to be like a, a specific sort of pacing mm-hmm. to that even. So yeah, like I think it all kind of like synthesized itself into like this pinnacle, right? That was the the way that I saw to give it shape um, was through um, like using like, you know, this act of remembering and this allusion towards, uh, towards time. Your moniker or avatar, Money Be mm-hmm. Green, makes an appearance in this book. I am curious what having that kind of avatar or second persona gives you that you wouldn't have without it. Yeah, well, I think, you know, money be, <laughs> money be is me. I am money be green, you know, like, <laughs> but I think like I, at the time I needed this sort of vehicle. I needed this armor. Like it felt necessary for me to be able to like say shit sometimes. And if you followed me <laughs> on Instagram throughout the pandemic, you saw how much I was on there popping off. But that wasn't me. Like that was money B, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, it was like almost like maybe an alibi or an out just to be myself, right? Until I worked myself into the point of like, I no longer need like this. I no longer need to like define this thing as a personality. This is just who I am. Um, this is me, self possessed, right? Have you ever used that as like a teaching modality? Because it feels, it strikes me as something which could be super powerful. Um, you know, I don't think like in the, like in a very explicit way, but like during the pandemic, I taught a bookmaking course over Zoom and I really simplified the structure and like sort of like created like a press like in my studio at home and where like the students were responsible, like we were just using appropriation images that they had made in the past. Like, and it was like anything goes in this space, like image wise. But the goal was to use content to say something about yourself. Like we were just in this act of self-reflection could be whatever you wanted to. So I had like students exploring their sexual identity. And I had another student like making a book about learning the drums, you know? And then, Mm. so it's like, but that like, yeah, they, they could use imagery to communicate, to tell stories, to say important things that they felt, you know, about themselves. And so like, I think that was like, to, for me, that was the testing ground for like bringing, you know, bringing this book together because we were like kind of immersed in that act together. And so I, I think it wasn't really like teaching through the persona, but just teaching people how to use art as a mode of self-reflection and like critical engagement, critical self-engagement, I would say. But yeah, I don't think it's like, like, yeah, like I don't, I don't show up in the classroom as money being green. Is there anything or something in particular that you know now that you wish you'd known when you were starting out? I, I think I look back at myself, you know, in the earliest stages of learning photography learning about art and I look back and I'm just like, I think like I'm astonished, like in the best possible way because I truly willed it to happen. Yeah. Like I was standing in front of a Sally Mann photograph at the Des Moines art center. It reminded me of, you know, me and my brother and my cousin growing up together as kids. And I was like, man, I just had an experience with this work of art. I want to be able to do that. And I, I hope that someday I can show my, my own work in a building like this for someone else to have that same experience. We're here talking about this. Yeah. We're here talking about this book. So no, I I mean, no, there's, yeah, there's, I think it was always there. Like looking back, like, yeah, I mean, I knew it was possible and I stayed dedicated and committed to it. And so I think that, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it any other way or with any, any more knowledge or foresight, you know, like, Yeah. Okay, you ready for some quick fire questions? Quick yeah, fire questions. Okay, so how do you deal with self doubt? How do I deal with self doubt? That's a good question. I either talk with people about my insecurities, like people that I feel comfortable with, or I do like a lot of just like self talk, like when I'm in the studio. And then, like, 
yeah, just a lot of like, yeah, don't talk yourself out of this idea, man. Just follow through on it. It's gonna, it might suck, but that's part of it. You know, like just embracing, embracing failure. Um, yeah. How has success changed your work? Um, <laughs> it's loaded. <laughs> I love these. <laughs> oh, you're fucking me up today. I know, I know. I think I feel more liberated. Like I don't have to follow any sort of formula, but I think that's definitely like a holdover from going through an MFA program for sure. Love that. Yeah. What does your practice enable you to do that if you didn't have it, these things would not manifest? And I would say like me and develop relationships with really wonderful people. Has there been anything you've had to unlearn along the way? Oh yeah. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> We're all constantly unlearning everything, right? Isn't that the human, just like being a conscious human? Yeah. I feel well, like I, now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like maybe one that stands out in my mind is uh, like being an educator and knowing that some of the ways I was taught were harmful. And now that I'm in this position, it's my responsibility to try to change those things and not keep perpetuating them. Do you think photographs still have the power to shift thinking or consciousness? Definitely. What matters more to you, the process of making the work or the final work itself? Definitely the process. Done. Thank you so much, Zora. Honestly, oh, yeah. I am thrilled to have you on the show. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, this has been really cool. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.